Welcome to the Hope College Athletics Orange and Blue podcast. My name is Alan Babbitt, Sports Information Director here for uh, Hope College. Uh, look forward each week to help you get to know some of the people that make our one team at Hope College uh, really special. And uh, certainly one of those uh, is trying to come up words to describe a man of a million steps, maybe selling them a little short. Um, uh, uh, there's just a lot of things. Uh, Dan Margaret's are uh, of the many hats he wears, most uh, notably the strength and conditioning coach uh, for Hope College, uh, also linebackers coach for the football team, uh, and uh, father and husband, uh, father of two awesome twins, which we'll talk about uh, later. Uh, welcome, Dan, and uh, take me through. Thanks for squeezing me in uh, today. I know your schedule with the school year going is pretty busy, but uh, take me through a day of life. What time does Dan Margaret's get up in the morning to get his day started. Yeah, thanks uh, Thanks for having me on. So typical day, so let's say it's like a Monday through Friday type thing. Today, Friday, uh, I've been up since 3.45 this morning. <laughs> I've been on campus in the weight room by about 4.30. So uh, the first team comes rolling in at 5.15 in the morning. So it's get here early, make sure everything's set up and ready to go. And music's blasting at 4.45. And pretty much the only people here that early are me and the custodian crew. So we get to, we get to know each other pretty well. But Day starts early, uh, get breakfast, get here, get everything going. Guys come rolling in, or my first team comes rolling in, 5.15. Sometimes I don't have a team till 6, but I actually don't get here till like 5.15, so I actually get sleep in on a day like that. Uh, and then usually I've got teams till about 9.30, 10 a.m. Cleaning crew comes in, does some good deep cleaning that they do an awesome job at. And then I head home and get in my workout and get in lunch and get ready for the afternoon because then I'm back here by about 1.30 to – start with my 2.30 teams, and if we don't have football practice, I go teams at 2.30, 3.30, 4.30, and then occasionally a 5.30 team. And then we have football practice, I go a 2.30 team, and then out to practice, and go to about 6. I go home and play with my kids and say hi to my wife and eat dinner and then go to bed and do it all again the next day. I, crazy. I follow, follow you on Twitter. You keep track. I mean, what's your average number of steps you'll do in a day, though? <laughs> All right, so this week I'm averaging 30,000 steps a day. I'm getting 15 miles walked every single day. So today it's 8.30 in the morning here, and I've got – I've already walked six miles just in the weight room this morning. Wow. I so mean, that's not – busy. I was just say that's crazy because you're just uh, – I mean, that, a normal person, we're trying to get – like me, I'm trying to get over 10K. I feel accomplished. Yeah. You get 10K, you get 10K probably before you even get – uh, on campus, what's your, I mean, how do you keep up? You're obviously in great shape too. How do you, food-wise, what, uh, what do you eat to be able to keep up that kind of uh, pace? So the biggest thing I always tell people is your body, when you wake up, your body knows it needs calories, but doesn't necessarily know it needs breakfast food. So I eat foods that normal people would eat for like a dinner for breakfast. So I get, uh, my breakfast food I actually get as a meal prep company. They ship it to me from North Carolina. So that way it's already pre-made, pre-cooked. I just got to heat it up in the morning, so it saves me a ton of time. Mm. So, for example, yesterday, I had the women's soccer team in here at 6 a.m., and I, they're trying to liven them up a little bit. I said, hey, guess what I have for breakfast today? I had enchilada lasagna for breakfast. So I had chicken enchilada lasagna for breakfast yesterday, which was about 480 calories, a little turkey bacon, and then after all my teams, I have protein. So I always have a, like a meal, 500 calories, a little turkey bacon, added in about 100 calories, so I have about – 600 700 calories before i even start working with teams because i'll burn up super quick and then i hit protein afterwards before i work out then i'll do my own personal workout have more protein and then lunch and just keep going so i always i have to make sure i eat solid meals of proteins carbs fats 
in order to keep going on this pace. What do you do for a workout? What's your, what's uh, Dan Margaret's do? Obviously this is what you do with the, uh, the teams that we have here at Hope College. What do you do for yourself to, to keep yeah. in shape? So a lot of the things I do with our athletes are the same things I'm going to do with myself. So like I'll, I'll make programs for them and I'll actually do like the same program, like a couple weeks of it at a time, just to make sure like, so I know if they're going to be, what they're going to be sore at, or I'm going to know how their body feels from doing that workout. So I'll do a lot of the workouts that these teams do on my own. So a lot of times like we do single leg, single leg deadlifts with people with dumbbells. And that's a big hamstring stability type of movement. So I do those a lot with myself and I'm like, Oh, this is definitely, you're going to feel this in your hamstrings. And so I tell them, like how it's going to feel because I've actually done it myself. But now with, well, back during the quarantine and the lockdown, I had to get really creative. I've got squat racks and treadmills, everything at my house. And I get really creative just so I personally didn't burn out from doing the same stuff over and over and over again. So I've had to get creative over time, but I, I get a good mix in. Usually I would run or walk or do some type of cardio activity every day during the lockdown. But now that I'm walking 15 miles a day, I don't really do as much, as much cardio. I do focus more on the, the weightlifting side of it since I don't have as much time in the day for that. Obviously, as you alluded to, it's been an interesting time to, for all of us and especially for a strength and conditioning coordinator. When, you, when we came back and started the semester back in mid-August, you couldn't get inside. We couldn't use the gyms. We couldn't do the things we normally do to start a school year. Take me through that process of when you had to figure out a new way to, to get our athletes engaged and, and moving and building strength. What, what are some of the I, things you did during that time just to try to make the most of what we could do? So the biggest thing, so when everything kind of went down in March, April, and then May comes and we're in summer break, usually the kids all get programs for me for lifting back at their high school or lifting like at a public gym back home or even here in Holland, lifting at the Voss Fieldhouse. They have like a program they follow. And then everything gets shut down. I, they still have the same program. So if they had weights at their house, they could use that. But then I had to get creative and make body weight type workouts for them to try and simulate things we would do. So I told a lot of the kids like, hey, when we're doing our squats and we don't have any weight, fill up a backpack with as many books as you can and put it on so that we get at least like 20 pounds extra on your weight. So a little bit of variety like that. And then trying to mix up like sprint workouts to get power in and conditioning in that way. But once we got back on campus, it was a little crazy because we're on campus. Usually we can use the facility, but it's all dark and we can't use it yet. So I had to do workouts outside. So I'd have teams out at uh, Ray and Sue Smith stadium. We did basketball workouts out on the turf even. So that was unique because a lot of the basketball teams they're not used to having to run or do things not on a hardwood floor. So we got them and coaches out of their bubble thinking that way. But we do a lot of body weight circuit type work when we were outside where we were doing time squats and your partner's doing lunges at the same time. Or we do partner things where one person's got to do 50 push-ups and the other person's doing mountain climbers while they're doing it and then they switch. And so just trying to get variety, but at the same time you can really not simulate what we do in the weight room with body weight only. So then let's see, we just opened up the weight room maybe two weeks ago. So a lot of planning when this summer, so we could try and open up, ended up not happening. So then we kind of used that same protocol to open up two weeks ago, but we, we have limitations of 25 at a time in the weight room. So I've got teams, for example, like football, we got 110 guys. And so I've got to split that group into four or five groups and then swimming, we got three groups. Pretty much every team on campus is split into two, three, four, four groups at a time. So my workload of, of 10 teams to get in goes up to 30 teams to get in. So my days get crazy just trying to schedule everybody to fit in workouts and training sessions in with me in the field house. 
I know the strength and conditioning coaches is a pretty tight group and you communicate and share ideas with the other. Where did you come up with some of the ideas? Is it following them based on what you've done when maybe you had to get, uh, where, where did you draw? Cause obviously you just kind of at the drawing board and have to try to figure out something. To, yeah. So a big one, the biggest thing was a lot of high schools were able to do workouts outside early. So they were able to do like high school workouts back in July. So a lot of that I got from some high school strength coaches that I know what they were doing with their teams and kind of took some stuff like that and modified it for us. And then I'm really good friends with uh, like the strength coach over at Detroit Mercy over in Detroit on the East side. And we were on some zoom calls over the quarantine and just talk shop about different stuff. And then I was on some zooms with uh, some of the big division one schools out on the West coast and the Pat 12 and a couple big 10 schools. And we just talked about how to get the most out of our football guys in particular, because these are football strength coaches when we had no access to them in the summertime. So a lot of it comes from, bunch of minds together just trying to come up with ways we can make the best of this situation but a lot of it too comes down to I've got a little bit of a background in personal training so I did personal training with some general population down in Tennessee before I was a strength coach and so a lot of that came from all right we have an extremely deconditioned person they can't really do a barbell squat so how am I going to do that body weight wise to build them up so I had to draw back to a lot of my personal training group fitness type stuff for the body weight movements I would imagine, I mean, having that kind of resources where you can bounce ideas and friends like that, that just has to be huge and kind of a, a, imagine a big part of your career just because you can all, you can all help each other. Yeah, it's huge. The networking and like the, the, just like, we call it talk shop when you're at strength coaches, they sit, sit around and just talk and now it's Zoom calls, but it used to be you sit in people's offices, you just talk about different lifting things and get a lift in together. But yeah, strength conditioning and networking within the field is huge for us. Did you always know you wanted to be a strength coach or obviously you had a start in, you know, personal training. So was that something you knew you wanted to do or did you find your way as you uh, kind of were, you know, as a young adult figuring, figuring things out? Yeah. So I guess, so in high school, high school, I was into football. I, I played football, basketball, track, and I was big in athletics. And I was also like, yeah, I kind of like designing things like architecture wise. So I debated that a little bit, but then in Nebraska, I, and that where I'm from originally is Nebraska. The only school you can do architecture is University of Nebraska. I'm like, well, I want to play football, so I'm obviously not going to be an architect. So then I was, went to uh, college originally to be a PE teacher and a coach. And then I, freshman year, I sat in on a sixth grade health class as an observation. And the teacher had kids jumping on tables and no control of the room. And I thought, there is no way I'm going to get into something like this. So I switched majors and got into exercise science, fitness studies, and out from there but my big thing with strength conditioning came a freshman year of college I uh, ruptured my Achilles tendon so I was spent a lot of time rehabbing and getting stronger that way so I feel like my my passion my drive for strength conditioning came from having to get stronger myself because of an injury I had but uh yeah I would imagine I mean that's and that's a serious injury too I mean Achilles you hear that every once in a while just yeah I mean, how tough was that mentally just to try to come back from something like that? You're probably all excited thinking, here we go. And then, bam, your freshman year, you get hurt. Yeah, so my freshman year, I came in as a running back, a tailback. And we had a bunch of guys in position. I made it all the way through fall camp, two-a-days. And it was the last scrimmage. I tore my Achilles catching a punt. I was the number one punt returner for varsity. So I was going to be the, like, the guy on the punt return. catching punch every Saturday with the big guys and catch a punt, take one step, snap. I'd run off the field, and then I tell the trainer, "Hey, I think I'm gonna sprain an ankle." He's like feeling me and stretching it out. He goes, "Yeah, you might uh, hold your Achilles." So he gives me this cup to put in my shoe, this little heel cup thing, to go out there and get my reps in 
on offense and I'm trying to put my cleat and I got my foot just kind of flopping around. And so that was kind of the end of that. And I had surgery maybe four days later. And I think the biggest thing was, especially mentally, I was football workouts all the time was how I was born and raised. And then I couldn't do anything for pretty much four months or I wasn't supposed to do anything for four months. And then I would do things that our, our athletic training crew at Hope College would not have approved of if they were <laughs> at my school. So, I mean, I was on a stationary bike uh, like three days after surgery trying to bike with my leg in a splint and on crutches. And so I really pushed my limits. But at the same time, like it sucked because I couldn't be out there playing football. But then from an injury standpoint of an athlete, I, I understood the concept of, all right, I'm not going to be able to play, so i got to learn as much of the offense or as much of the, the program as I can so I don't get behind mentally compared to everybody else. And then I was able to – I came back a lot quicker than what was projected. I actually played spring practice full pads in March, which was probably like – that was like six months after surgery. So wow. I was extremely fortunate that I recovered and rehabbed as quickly as I did. Because otherwise, yeah, it was, it was a wild time. Uh, take me to your path to Hope College. How, obviously, being from Nebraska, and then I, you were in, I think, Memphis, if I remember correctly. Yep. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, – Hope College may not be as well-known there as maybe some other schools. How, how did you find Hope College and the opportunity to become here for our first uh, strength and conditioning coach? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Nebraska. I went to Concordia University, Nebraska, right outside of Lincoln. Uh, and then I got married after college, and we moved down to Memphis, Tennessee. My wife was uh, at optometry school, and I worked down there at some high schools as a strength coach and a football coach, and I actually worked at the world headquarters of FedEx. I did corporate wellness for about a year, running that kind of thing, and realized corporate wellness was not for me, and I'm more <laughs> in the athletic field. So that's when I was all strength conditioning, athletics for a couple of years after that. And then uh, my wife was about to graduate, and I said, hey, where, where are we going to go once you graduate in May? She goes, I'm wherever you can get a job, we'll go. So I'm like, all right, here we go. So I had uh, applied to a bunch of different schools and I verbally accepted an offer at a small school down in Florida and it was right outside of Naples and the cost of living was going to be crazy. So I ended up turning that down finally, waited a little bit. And I'm like, oh, there's a school in Michigan. Like, that'd be cool. Filled out all the stuff and did some interviews and they flew me in on a Sunday, did an interview on a Monday and I was back home in Memphis by like Monday night. But before that 24 hours, I hadn't been in Michigan for maybe a day. Back in 2007, I was in Detroit, and I was on a tour of, like, the Ford manufacturing plant back when the economy was terrible and the recession hit. So yeah. all I knew of Michigan was that one day in 2007 when I was in Detroit. I was like, ooh, Michigan's a little interesting. But uh, Holland, and then we came, and I said, all right, guess we're moving to Holland. So here we are. But yeah, I had, never, I had never heard of Hope College until I found the application looking for a head strength conditioning coach in West Michigan. And I was like, oh, looks like fun. Here we go. So I always, I always tell people, especially like kids who are graduating, to take chances and to get outside your comfort zone. Because a lot of kids just live in a bubble of West Michigan, East Michigan, or Indiana. It was like they're where they're used to and where they're comfortable at. But you're going to learn so much more about yourself and what you can do by getting out of your comfort zone. But my, my closest family member, or town than my wife's close family member, is probably – 800 miles away so when you're 800 miles from people you know when we moved up here and didn't know anybody when we first got here you got to figure out how to fix your car yourself or do this yourself or do this and you got to really learn how to take care of yourself so it's good just to get out of your comfort zone and experience life that way i say with uh with your experience in life i know there's obviously getting out of your comfort zone there's some things that are still in your comfort zone i i follow you uh 
on Twitter just to see what you're uh, putting on the grill each day. Talk to me about your, you know, love of, of barbecue and meats. And I, I know it's, it's more than the average person of, uh, especially with your, you know, I think it's your father was a, a yep. grand champion. Uh, just, just talk about that and your uh, kind of affinity for being able to, you know, obviously do a meat right. And, uh, and, and the history you have that, I just find it fascinating. All right, so this goes way back to my childhood. I grew up on a farm and we had cattle, about 300 cattle on a feedlot, plus a bunch of corn and everything. So we had meat all the time. We'd have beef almost every meal. My dad would grill hamburgers, eggs. We'd have roast. We'd have steak on a rotisserie. We grew chickens, so we'd have chickens all the time. And we'd eat chicken, eight-pound chickens we'd harvest. And so I grew up around meat and grilling where we grilled year-round. Like we would grill in the summertime. We'd grill in the wintertime. We'd have a blizzard. My dad would be out there grilling for us. <laughs> and then I was in 4-H growing up, and I was on a meat judging team. So my my dad actually won a national championship in Nebraska for judging meat back in like 1979, I think is what it is. Wow. So he was the last national champion from the state of Nebraska judging meat. So judging meats, I would have to go into a like a meat cooler, meat locker, and they had all this cuts of meat laying out. I'd have to tell what kind of meat it was, like what animal, beef, pork, chicken, lamb where it came from on the animal, uh, what the actual cut is called, and how to cook it. And I have to judge them based on like the size, the color, how much fat is on it. And so we have to do all that. I then won a state championship and went and competed for a national championship. This would have been, oh boy, 2006 maybe. And I was just like a sophomore in high school and I was competing against teams from like Texas A&M and LSU and at the American Royal in Kansas City. Uh, ended up getting like 15th overall as our t as our team in the nation, but all that came just growing up cooking, and then we go down to Memphis, and Memphis is like the barbecue capital of the world, and it's yeah. the best barbecue I've ever eaten in my life. So Memphis has barbecue this, barbecue that. We had barbecue nachos, and we'd have barbecue ribs, and just things you barbecue that you didn't even think would be barbecued. I'd have barbecue spaghetti, which was spaghetti with a sauce that's more like a barbecue base. And they have barbecue pork, smoked pork on top with like barbecue seasoning sprinkled on it. Crazy good. So I learned about barbecue more in depth about smoked barbecue down there because Nebraska, you get ribs or barbecue, everything's covered in barbecue sauce. You go down south into Memphis in particular, it's more dry. It's more seasoned and smoked. And then if you want sauce, you just kind of put it on yourself. But then came up here and I had the grill background from growing up. And then I got a smoker. Coach Morehouse actually uh, – gave me one of his old smokers and so I started getting a little bit of that and then I got a big fancy smoker this year and I've been smoking pork and I smoked 36 pounds of pork in the month of in the month of August alone and wow. I shredded it and freeze in my freezer and I actually ship in barbecue seasoning from Memphis just because I know like if I'm going to be smoking something good it's got to be the best seasoning on it so yeah it's it's fun it's one of those it takes a lot of time to make something like that smoke it for 12 15 hours but when it's done, the product is pretty good. And I always, old Peter Sturzma is always trying to send me pictures, trying to say his, his grilling's better or his smoking's better. I said, like, no, this isn't even close. Like, you don't even know how to smoke. You're from Michigan. I came from Tennessee. This is real smoke. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I found there, I, I remember a story. There was a baseball coach, the West Michigan Whitecaps. Uh, Matt Walbeck was his name. from Texas. And they kept, he was looking for Tex-Mex stuff. And it's like, <laughs> in West Michigan, people would recommend stuff to him, but it was like, no, that's not, that's yeah. not the authentic. In the so same I, I go to, we go to like hog wild barbecue here in Holland. And it's like, it's not bad. It's, I mean, it's good for West Michigan, but compared to Tennessee, I'm like, this is not even close. 
but I mean, it's, it's good enough. I always, I tell Thomas, I'm like, Hey, we got a road trip down to Memphis. One of these weekends that we don't have, fo- now we don't have football games, just eat barbecue and hang out down in the South again. That sounds good. I'll be out for that uh, road trip when we can do that. <laughs> and obviously if you didn't have enough uh, going on your plate, uh, you're a dad of two awesome uh, twin girls, uh, Ava and Presley. And uh, I mean, having one, one kid is enough. Uh, and then let alone having twins, just talk about being a dad and what's that been like for you the past, uh, what are they now, a year and a half, two years? Yeah, they're about a year. And so my twins are a year and almost two months. They were born August 1st of 2019. So last year we had the twins right before fall camp. It was maybe a week before fall camp and it was wild. I went from, we were in the hospital maybe four days, I get home and it was three days before fall camp started. So I went from two kids being born to fall camp and just whirlwind crazy. <laughs> and then they, uh, we started, they started walking or well, they started crawling right before quarantine happened. Quarantine comes, shuts down daycare that they go to. So my wife went back to work in May since she's an eye doctor, she's considered essential. So I was taking care of two twins for, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day for like a month and a half. And holy cow, it was some, that was work. But uh, it's, it's a fun time now because they're, used, they're now starting to learn how to like throw basketballs and bounce balls. And uh, Presley can almost run right now. So it's kind of fun. Just they're, they're more interactive compared to the first few months where they just kind of lay around and you're like, got to pick them up to move them everywhere. And yeah, it's when I get up at 3 a.m. and they start crying at midnight, it's not very enjoyable that time. <laughs> But that's it's fun. It's it's a good time. But we went to uh, the Critter Barn last weekend. So it's out in Zealand. It's a bunch of like uh, different farm animals, pigs, cows, goats, and yep. we went out there before the rain came just to get away from everything. Just because how busy I've been and everything I've been going on, and we don't have football games. So I'm like, well, we got to find something to do on Saturdays, and went to the Critter Barn, and they're starting to learn about animals, so they enjoy that. I think at least. <laughs> Are personalities showing yet? Are they? But like you or are they like you? Yeah. <laughs> so Ava, Ava is technically the oldest by one minute and she's more like my wife Tabitha, more calm and collected and cool. And then Presley, who's born later, is the more loud and wild and be like the crazy one, more like me. <laughs> so we actually got the name Presley is actually because of Memphis, coming from Memphis where Elvis yep. Presley was born. So oh, that makes sense. That's how the Presley name come came about. So yeah, Presley definitely has a personality more like me, and Ava is more calm and quiet like Tabla is. So have you found, like, I my, I have two kids now, not twins, but um, I have my youngest is more, or my youngest is more like my wife, and my oldest is more like my, uh, uh, me. Do you find it harder, the one that's unlike you or, or, or like you? I, I find I struggle more with the kid that's more like me because I'm like, kid, I know what you're doing because that's my, how my brain is <laughs> – wired or is it the opposite we're like ah press i mean i obviously we love them all but um do you find that at all where it's like being a dad is like okay this is different or this is the same all this is hard because this is just yeah so so ava's usually quiet and calm and everything but now ava likes to bite so she'll bite presley like if presley's doing something and presley will like take something from ava like a toy ava's gonna try and bite her like (laughs) the is always like no don't bite don't bite i said hey if she bites hard enough she's not gonna do it again because she's gonna learn not to do it (laughs) There's a lot of times like they do things. I'm like, they're definitely doing this because they know they shouldn't be doing this. Like they, they'll go up and grab like uh, the cable cord on the wall and start playing with it and just look at us and laugh. Presley does that a lot. Just looks at us and laughs. And we say, no, don't do that, Presley. And it's like, you, you're doing this because you know you're not supposed to do this. And I think back and my parents always tell me that 
Presley looks like me now as a baby, like how I looked. And like, I'm like, okay, she's definitely probably exactly how I was. So I feel bad for my parents just because I was probably wild for them. Oh man, it is funny how that works. But as you said, it's awesome uh, being a dad and watching them, watching them grow. So, well, hey, I know you got some more steps to get in and get ready. So I will let you go. But thanks for uh, joining uh, uh, me, Dan, on the Hope Athletics Orange and Blue podcast. And uh, we look forward to seeing you hopefully with some contests here with our Hope Athletic teams uh, sooner than later. Thank you much.